right. Thanks, Stephen. Stephen, you did such a great job. Be careful. If you do a good job, you'll be stuck doing it forever. We're, we're really excited. I'm, I'm very excited about this um, Balloon Fiesta uh, two-week time because uh, Ruth and I have not been, Martha and I have not been here during the Balloon Fiesta, so it will be an experience for us, but my staff had educated me on all the different um, issues that we've had trying to do church during the Balloon Fiesta. For those of you who have not realized, the Balloon Fiesta Park's like down the street from us. And uh, so there's uh, roads that are closed. There's uh, different uh, issues that we have. Some, some police officers knowing that they're supposed to let us in, some police officers not knowing that. And so there's been um, uh, not as, as um, quite the gathering that we really like to have uh, on those uh, Sunday morning services. So we just want to do it as a family in another location, and we're going to, you know, one of the great things about worshiping and communing together uh, to worship the Lord is awesome, but what also I want us to emphasize, one of the most godliest things you can do is do things as a family. You can feel God in it, can't you? And, and fellowship and have table together, have, come around the table together. It doesn't mean that you have to be a glutton like myself, but... But there's something about the Lord being in breaking of bread and just and hamburgers for sure. But American hot dogs. But anyway, so come bring blankets if you want to chill out. It is outside. There's an indoor section, too, where you can have some coffee. There's a cool coffee house there uh, that Renee Regal runs. And uh, anyway, that's enough about that. Um, I am so excited uh, to continue this series of messages on Hello Holy Spirit. I know our last season of messages over the summer was about coming to Jesus, and we did different sermon uh, uh, messages on that. But the Holy Spirit's been a topic we've been teaching on for the past maybe three, four weeks. And, uh, and you know what? There isn't too much you could say about the Holy Spirit. You can, can, I could do this for another year and a half if I had to. But I want you to know that the Holy Spirit is so foundational for our everyday walk in life. And we've talked about how the Holy Spirit is divine and the Holy Spirit is a person. It is not, he is not just some invisible energy source. He's not uh, just power, although he has power. It's, you can't go over to an electric socket and say hello because the electric socket, although it has power, is not a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. And the Holy Spirit resides in us. The, the, uh, Jesus has poured out the Holy Spirit to us. And the Apostle Paul talks about, do you not know that you are temples of the Holy Spirit? No longer do we have to go to a temple to experience God. But now God inhabits us and God is within us. When we receive Christ, we receive the Spirit of Christ. And the Holy Spirit is now within us. This is important. This is an empower, empowering, powerful understanding. This is something that we need to grasp hold of. And when we forget, we need to be reminded. And we talked about last week how the Holy Spirit is personal, that the Holy Spirit wants to have a relationship with us and that we can commune with God every day and talk to the Lord. But I often find that our talking to God becomes such a petitionary thing petitionary thing. We say, God, can you help me with this? God, can you, can you uh, make clarity here? God, can you do this? And, and I think some of the biggest obstacles we have is not talking to God. It's actually hearing from God. It's like so hard. And I think that sometimes it's more or less um, 
Well, we'll get into it in a little bit, but I promised us that every Sunday we would watch a healing video of what the Holy Spirit does in healing, and because it inspires faith. Last week we had a really cool healing video. Uh, I traveled with Global Awakening for years, and there's some amazing healings that we had seen. And I talked about how caretakers are oftentimes a sign of how significant the healing was, because when you hear someone's testimony on stage, you most likely didn't see their issue beforehand. So you're kind of like, wow, what they're saying sounds great. That's great. We give our little golf clap, right? Because it's hard to experience what they're experiencing because for them it was personal, but for you it was impersonal. But when you see the caretakers who are with them or maybe their friend who had known their issue, oftentimes a person who experienced the healing still doesn't have a frame of reference or still kind of at a loss for words or like, yeah, my arm's not supposed to do this, but it's doing this and I don't understand why kind of thing. And I guess God healed me. I've seen people try to make things hurt again. Like they're like, my, I'm in extreme pain. You pray for them and then they're not in pain and they're like, yeah, but it, it should hurt, you know? And I'm like, don't break it. Like, don't mess it up. So, so I've seen that. But, but, um, but oftentimes you see the person who's with them and you're like, oh, wow, this must have been dramatic healing. And this healing I'm gonna show you was a dramatic healing. And the person with her, she, they're, they're newly saved, both of them, but, but the person with her was just so astonished that she kept trying to explain to the audience exactly what had happened. In the video, you're gonna see some before pictures that we got a hold of um, so watch and enjoy and give God all the glory. Some of these you'll see me in the background somewhere. That's a caretaker right there crying. My name's Eli. Eli? Yeah. What was your problem? What, was the, what, was, what have you um, been A metal plate sticking out of my arm for years and in front of everyone. Like the, this, off her arm. It's the, always been that it way. It just went down. I, I don't. It go flat. Yeah. In an instant, I watched it go flat. <laughs> As we were praying over her, it disappeared. The plate's gone. She's always had that. It's gone. <laughs> it's gone. It's gone. gone. It's gone. You can see the rig. You, you can, can see, see it you sticking out. It. This I, far. All this, the screws that had come out were in my muscle. They were embedding. And so, can I just... I, I it have to stuck out like a mound on her like arm it was gnarly. And yeah, I watched it go thunk since like 2006. So. so for eight years or nine years, yeah, nine she's years. had this huge plate coming out of her arm. She's had this huge plate coming out of her arm, like yeah. a mound on her arm that was so visible. And I watched it as we were praying. Instantly, <laughs> it's it went thunk and it was gone. <laughs> In 2012, I got saved at the healing rooms in Santa Maria, and I got healed of HIV, and my heart valves got healed, and I've got the, the I have the proof, the medical proof to prove it, and so I didn't think God would do more for me, and then they stood up and prayed for my arm, and he healed me again, so. Isn't that amazing? So God, who did things in the Bible still does things today. 
and it's, it's, it's to see it happen, we have to try and stretch out our hands. Sometimes faith is actually just sticking out your hand. That's faith, to pray. So I encourage us, we, we are a church that believes in the power of prayer. We believe that God hears our prayers. We believe that prayer changes things, and we believe in healing prayer. And uh, if you're visiting our church, that's what we believe. You might think we're crazy, but that's okay. And um, it, doesn't, it doesn't mean that we always see healing in the moment. I would never say that. But it does mean that I'll try. I'll always try. And it doesn't mean I don't believe in medical uh, intervention at all. I do believe in medical intervention. And I thank God for all the medical doctors and nurses and machines and the, and the, uh, the understanding that he's given uh, humanity. It's powerful. But it doesn't mean I'm not gonna stop praying. I'm still gonna pray. Okay, sorry about that. But anyway, when we come to back to what we're talking about with communicating with the Lord, oftentimes we talk to him, we say things to him, and we don't have the ability to actually wait and listen to him. It's so hard for us. I know, I know you're thinking like, well, of course it isn't. I mean, you know how to talk to God. It's like, well, hmm, do you really? I mean, I know that when I uh, talk to my wife, um, you know, I'll ask her a question like, Hey, hon, how was your day today? And she talks to me for 10 minutes, and I think I'm listening. I do. I actually think I'm listening. And then 20 minutes later, I'll be like, so how was, soccer, how was Oscar's uh, soccer practice? She'll be like, I told you already. I was like, no, you didn't. She's like, yes, I did. And I was like, maybe you were talking really softly. I, you know, <laughs> What was I doing? I was, what, uh, the Australian, uh, Australia uh, uh, marketing agency made this cool ad and they, they actually uh, called it fubbing. Fubbing, phone snubbing. Phone snubbing is a real thing. It's what we often do to each other. We don't even realize it and we, uh, we talk to someone while we're on our phone and we can't actually di like digest what they're saying because our brain as, as smart as we think we are, can't really do both things well. John will show you some of these examples of fubbing. There's one. There's another one, right, when we're spending time with our kids. Now, it's always men doing this. Show some women. Oh, that's no, not. Yeah, that was me and Steve. I was, that was actually last week. I was talking to Steven, and, and uh, he had no idea. Couldn't be bothered, he was just too, you can take that down now, thank you. <laughs> but fubbing is a real thing, and I think sometimes we do it to God and we don't even realize it. We think we're listening and we're not. And it's actually one of the biggest obstacles in our Christian walk and Christian faith. Because if you don't, can't hear him, how do you have a relationship with him? If you can't be silent. You know, there's some things that are so awesome that when they're in addition to our life, they become a tool for our help, our development, and can be a kingdom advancement, but they can also be a distraction. This is one of them. It's easy to harp on. I know, I'm sure many people, pastors, preachers have done it before, but just to be honest, I can spend three hours on this device and can't even remember what I did on it. It makes me wonder what I do to God. You know, I wanted to talk to today about 
waiting on the Lord and the process that we often go through in that development and why we have to do it. Waiting on the Lord is so boring, it's such a bad preaching topic that most pastors will never talk about it. Because how do you show what waiting on the Lord looks like? It's just boring. Like, how do we talk about this? I'm gonna try. Let's look at Proverbs 8, 34 through 36. It says, blessed are those who listen to me, watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway for those who find me find life and receive favor from the Lord. But those who fail to find me harm themselves and all who hate me love death. One of the famous verses uh, in the Bible in Isaiah 40, 31, a lot of you might know it. A lot of pastors have this on a plaque in their office. I don't, because I don't like cliches. But anyway, but those who wait on the Lord, those who wait shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and shall not faint. And we, uh, we often don't have a value that we need to have which is waiting. We need to kind of shift our value to waiting on the Lord. Let me, let me tell you this. There's something that you have that you possess that is actually worth more than anything else in the world. There's something that you will never get more of. You can't buy more of it. You can't sell it. You can't have a transaction with it. You actually own it, and it's something that's God-given to you, and you decide how you spend it. What you have is actually priceless, and it's your time. It's limited. You decide how you wanna spend your time. And when you spend your time on the Lord, you're actually saying to God, I'm giving you the most valuable thing I have to you. And you're shifting and you're spending it on him. And you shift the value of what you have to him. Waiting on the Lord is that important. It's like, God, I'm giving you the, the best thing I have, which what you gave me, I'm gonna give back to you. And that's my time. It's valuable. I, I, I think that waiting on the Lord is actually tough. It's, it's not something that we can do so easily. It's like uh, something that is hard. Have you, have you tried to do it? I mean, um, I'll, I'll talk about it like this. You know, if I were to go to the gym, I know I look like I can do it, but if I wanted to bench press 250 pounds, I can't do it. As, as wonderful as this physique looks, the years of dad bod training that I've been doing, I couldn't bench press 250 pounds. But maybe if I went every day or every other day and I took a lot of supplements, eventually, maybe, possibly, I will be able to bench press 250. 50 pounds. I don't even know if that's too much for a guy my size to bench press. I have no idea, but I, I assume I could eventually do it. And I'm, I'm gonna make a play on words because in English I get to do this, so I'm gonna just do it. But it's like, when we weight train on him, we build up the ability to wait on him longer and longer so that when the word that God wants to release over us, we're able to carry it and strong enough to carry it. 
Sometimes I think the Lord's just waiting for us to be strong enough to carry the word he wants to release over our life. And he knows that we can't, we can't carry it yet. I remember when um, I was tr- traveling at the time, going from church to church and doing some equipping and, and um, healing trainings and things of that nature. And, uh, and, the, and I was in the back of the church. I was getting ready to kind of pack up and leave. It wasn't during a, an emotional experience or anything like that. I was just kind of like walking in the back towards the sound booth. And the Lord said, Paul, I want you to start fasting. And I was like, what, God? Like, I am not a fast person. It's not something that I enjoyed doing up to that point. I really didn't enjoy doing it. And I actually told the Lord, uh, because I can become, I have friends who like fast every other day. They're, they're like into fasting uh, spiritually. And they also will, I have other friends who fast like 40 days every single year. And I'm like, that's amazing. I'm glad God called you to that and not me to that. I mean, I know it's a common joke, but it's like it shouldn't be called fasting. It should be called slowing. Because like time slows down when you start fasting. Like you normally don't don't remember like, oh, yeah, I need to, yeah, okay. Like, I'm, I'm like, when I'm fasting, I'm like, oh, wow, it's like 11 o'clock. In an hour, I would usually be eating. <laughs> but I'm not gonna be eating. I try everything to, like, speed up my fasting. I'll go to sleep early. I'll go to sleep like 8, 8, 8 p.m. Not because I'm tired, because I know I gotta go to bed, because if I stay up any longer, I will eat that kitchen. <laughs> so I gotta go to bed. And I, I, and I told the Lord, I said, Lord, I'm, and I'm not against fasting. I think it's a great thing to do. But for me, personally, for me, I, I can easily make something into a religious ritual or routine, and it would lose the value for me. And so I told the Lord, if you ever call me to a fast, I'll fast. But I don't want to make it just a kind of like thing I do regularly in some sort of routine. And so for a couple years, the Lord didn't call me to fast, and I was enjoying my life. And I never said you, uh, no to a meal. I, I, I said yes to everything. I'm like, yeah, I'll try that. Of course I'll try that. I'll eat everything. But now uh, God called me to a fast, and I said, sure, God, when? And, and this was uh, before Thanksgiving, and he said, uh, like, December 1st to, to January 1st. And I was like, God, that's the worst time to fast. Like, that's some of the best meals. Like, people don't make their special recipe until Christmas, you know, it's like my grandma would only make these amazing cookies at that one Christmas meal. It's like, I wouldn't be able to eat that. It's like everyone brings out everything in the kitchen sink at that time. So I wouldn't have picked that fast. If you were to ask me, if God was to say, Paul, when would you like to fast? I'd say January 2nd to February 2nd. Because that's probably when I need it. But anyway, I digress. I thought, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. And, um, and so I... I I was starting to get excited. Now, of course, Thanksgiving came, and I ate as much as I could at that time to prepare. And, uh, but I was getting excited about this idea because God must want to say something to me. He must want to do something in me that, that to call me to something like this. Maybe the Lord's going to call, give me like the year of the Lord, you know, like the word of the Lord that my friends get and post on Facebook every year. You know, like my ministry friends are like, uh, God told me that the year of 2020 is going to be the year of vision and, and um, you know, all that kind of stuff. And man, they, they missed that. But anyway, I... I, I never get those words. And so I was like, oh, maybe God's going to do this new thing for me. And he's, he's going to do that. And so I was like, oh, I'm going to get this word. And, and so, um, so, 
this is what um, waiting on the Lord. So uh, every day I would, you know, go in this little, uh, open up my prayer closet and shut it and, and, you know, get the music right and, you know, get the smoke machine going. And, no, I'm just kidding. There's no smoke machine. And I'm just like, I'm ready, God. Speak, Lord, your servant's listening. I'm here, God. Sorry about that. I'm so sorry. Um, this, this is hard. This is what waiting looks like. And that's why people don't preach it or show about it because it's not very entertaining. Well, I made it entertaining, but usually it's not. And, and, and so I, I heard nothing, nothing. And it wasn't like I, I thought God was upset at me. It wasn't like, I mean, I knew God's heart for me. I knew he loved me. I knew he's a good father. I know I'm his son. I know he, he, he wants uh, me to be whole and he, he's proud of me and all these things. But in terms of the rhema word, I wasn't getting the rhema word that I thought. What I mean by that is the word at that moment from God to me. See, there's two words that they talk about in the Bible. They talk about the logos word. The Logos Word of God. They call Jesus the Word of God, Logos. Uh, but, but also his written word is the Word of God. The Bible is the Word of God. And I love the Word of God. I listen to the Word of God. I, I read the Word of God. I think it's our plumb line. I, I believe it's his word. And so I enjoy the Word of God. I, I remember driving uh, one of my first cars. It was like a little sports car. I was like 17 years old. And I'm flying down the road. Just got the car washed. And I, I had it for a week or two, and I'm listening. This is like the 90s, so there you go. But I'm listening to um, music really loud, and, uh, and um, I remember uh, windows down, and I'm looking, and I think the music is loud and full, and I see this little button on my radio and said stereo, and I hit it, and it was like, vroom. It was like I was listening in monophone. See, when we read the Word of God, when we're digesting the word of God, when God speaks to us through that word, it's beautiful and it's life-giving and it's every, it'll never not be the word of God. It'll never return void. It is his word. But when you also read this word and hear his rainbow word, it's like listening in stereo. Now this rainbow word will never contradict the word of God. He never contradicts who he is, right? So this is our standard, okay? This is, tells us his character, who he is and what he what he, what he stands for, what he believes, but, but his rhema word is also something to receive. And I was waiting for the rhema word of God. See, sometimes God's not waiting. It's not like I'm doing the wrong thing. It's not like I'm going in the wrong direction. Sometimes we're not, it's not that we're going in the wrong direction. Sometimes it's like the Lord's waiting for a certain moment for you. It's kind of like a quarterback. If God's the quarterback, he drops back and he has the ball and you're the wide receiver and you're going on a route. If he releases that word too soon or if that quarterback releases that ball too soon, that, person will, uh, that ball might get intercepted. If he releases it too late, you'll get tackled immediately. But he's waiting for that perfect moment for you to get in the right position so that when he releases it, you're able to catch it. And sometimes we're just going in the, the right direction and he's waiting for the right moment to release the word. When we learn to wait on him, we can bear weight from him, or worse off, he gives them to you when you can't bear it. But a lot of times we want weighty things from God, but we're not willing to weight train for him. 
It's so important as we wait on him so we can bear weight from him, otherwise it crushes you. Or worse yet, when you hear it, it rolls off you because you're not able to bear it. It's not something you train through sweat equity, but it looks like being still before the Lord. Psalm 123.2 says this, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their masters, as the eyes of a maid to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God until he has mercy on us. We should not despise the waiting on the Lord because in the waiting, you're being prepared for the weighty things of God. When I didn't hear him one day, I'd get excited because then I prepared myself for a weightier thing the next day. And I realized, you know, at first I thought, God, is there something you're disappointed in? Is there something I've done wrong? Is there some sin in my life? Why aren't you saying what I want you to say? Why aren't you giving me direction? Why aren't you telling me why you're doing this to me? And I would just hear silence. But I knew he was there. And it was like, I don't know, like a couple who love each other dearly and have been together for 50 years. They don't need to say a word to one another, but they're just next to each other. It was like the Lord was just building an intimacy between me and him. And I was learning to trust him even when I didn't hear anything. And I didn't understand why. Now, without talking about waiting, uh, talking about waiting, I can't not mention our process. Waiting and process go hand in hand. It's kind of like diet and exercise. If you do one and not the other, you're gonna have some sort of imbalance. Um, I could uh, work out all I want, and I actually been working out a lot in the past three months with a good friend of mine, but if I'm not dieting, which I haven't been as much, I, I will not get the results I'm looking for, but if a diet and exercise go together, you'll get way better results. Same thing with waiting. If we're talking about waiting, let's talk about our process a little bit. Is this all right? Waiting on the Lord. One of the things I love about uh, process, I love the story of Jacob and Genesis 29. I'm gonna surmise this whole chapter for you, but I encourage you to read Genesis 29 on your own time just to make sure what I'm saying is true. But Genesis 29 is when Jacob is fleeing to his mother's land. His mom uh, says, hey, you need to go. Go to the land of Tehran. My brother's over there because Jacob had done some shady stuff. And so he's running to the land of Tehran. And, uh, and, and, and he gets to the, to the center there where there's the well. And he's talking to some shepherd boys. And he, this fine young lady walks up. My paraphrase. And he goes to the shepherd boys. He's like, who is that? And they're like, oh, her? That's Rachel. And he was in love. He was love drunk. He came over, he's like, oh, and he starts talking to her and he finds out that, that his unc this is his uncle's daughter, which makes him his, co her co his cousin, so, but we're gonna ignore that. Just gonna glaze over that. We're just gonna, some things you're just like, oh, it's just not applicable. But anyway, anyway, so... And so uh, she brings him back to uh, Laban, his, his, his mom's brother, his uncle. And so he's talking to Laban. And he's, he says he's so in love with Rachel. Only love would make you do this. It says that Jacob came and worked for Laban for 30 days straight for free. Listen, if a guy keeps showing up to your house, dads, and he's just fixing the yard and doing it, like take advantage of it for sure but it's probably because he's in love with one of your daughters. 
Now, Laban starts feeling guilty because this is his sister's son. This is his nephew. And he's like, he's like, Jacob, I can't have you come in here every day and not pay you. Tell me, what do you want your wages to be? I want to pay you. What do you want your wages to be? Just name it. And he goes, Rachel. I want Rachel. And he says, work for me for seven years and I'll give you Rachel. I promise to give you Rachel. Now, he says that he's so in love that that seven years felt like a few weeks. And on the wedding night, I don't know what happened on that wedding night that this had happened. I don't know what kind of party they were having. We're just gonna glaze over this part, okay? I love how the Bible's so messy, it doesn't leave out these crazy details because this is the world we live in. So anyway, Laban, it says on the wedding night, instead of Laban sending in Rachel, who he had promised, the younger daughter, says that he sends in Leah. And I love how all your translations say this because for some reason Jacob didn't realize it was Leah says, behold, in the morning, Leah. <laughs> and Jacob's mad. He goes over to Laban, who's a shyster, and he's like, what did you do to me? And Laban, now, like, I, I, you know, a lot of people want to hate on Laban, and I get it, he's a shyster, and, that, and the way he was behaving is not good. But if you think about it, Laban is a father who loves both his daughters. And in that culture, he knew that if his youngest daughter got married before his oldest daughter, that the oldest daughter will probably not get married. Not cultural. So he said, love Leah. Love my daughter Leah. Give her the wedding week, which is like the honeymoon back then. They would have a wedding week. Give her the wedding week she deserves. And I'll give you, Rachel, just work for me for another seven years, which is total shyster stuff, right? But, you know, it reminds me of times in my life where I'm like, you know, I, 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 I go to the worship conference, I go to the ministry time, I, I get all these words from, from, from the Lord, you know, you're going to be to the nations, you're going to be a prophet, you know, or, you know, things like that. And you start singing worship songs that if you realize how much they are prayers, you wouldn't sing them. It's like, mold me, make me, crush me in the sand, you know, it's like, God's like, all right, I wasn't going to, but you asked for it, right? And, and, and so we have all these like, things that we say, and we're like, get in touch, like, yeah, it's God to the nations, I'll do it, I'll be a prophet, sure. You know? And then, and then you, you, you show up to church, and you're like, hey, Pastor Paul, I'm like, hey, what's up? They're like, I'm so-and-so. I'm like, oh, awesome. Like, I feel called to serve the church. I'm like, that's great. I'm called to a pro a, be a prophet. I'm like, that's amazing. They're like, how can I serve? I was like, here's a toilet brush. Behold, Leah. This is Leah. You're like, what kind of? I thought you called me to the nations. You told me I was going to be a prophet. I've been there. I, I worked at, I, I gave up a career at Verizon Communications. I, I was in management there. I was doing well. Uh, and and uh, God called me to ministry school. It was absolutely the Lord. And I, and I had all these plans. And I knew what God was doing, and he called me to all these different things, and so I was like, okay, I'll do this ministry school, and I went to the ministry school, and, um, and then uh, 
two years after the ministry school, you have an opportunity to intern for someone, and the only person you cannot ask to intern for is our president and CEO of Global Awakening, the founder, Dr. Randy Clark, because everyone is going to ask to be his intern. So what they do is they have the staff pick the graduating class pick three people for Randy to interview to pick to be an intern for him for that year. And they just kind of put the pressure off the students to have to try to do anything uh, or try to put on a show. And so um, I was one of the people that they asked to be an intern for Randy. And, um, and uh, I did this interview process and the Lord kind of gave me direction and told me to take it. And I was like, wow, okay, I didn't think God you would take me in this direction, but this makes sense, you know, I'll just... Uh, you know, uh, go here. I thought I was going to immediately be a pastor. That's that's what I had planned to do. And so I start, you know, connecting the dots for the Lord. And uh, and 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 he and and I and you know, it's such a high honor to be Randy's intern as a student. And so you know, Global Awakening was inviting me to see all the offices and introduce me to the staff. And I was just like, awesome. I was like, uh, you know, they'd be like, oh, here's the secretary. I'd be like, hey, how you doing, Paul Martini, new intern. Global Awakening, how's it going? You know, oh, here's the International Ministry Trips Director. Like, how's it going, Paul Martini? Global Awakening, I'm, I'm the intern, you know, Randy Clark, you know. You know, and they show me all these beautiful offices that they have, and there's this massive warehouse that's bigger than this room that's just books on pallets. They're the, one of the largest traveling bookstores in the world, and so there's like, and they put, they mail all the books out of there and all this stuff, and, and, and I'm like, wow, this is amazing, and, and, and at the end of the tour, they're like, so? Here's your tape gun. Behold, Leah. It's like, what? What do you mean? And I found myself in a warehouse taping boxes that could, could go up to 70 pounds all over the world, making phone calls, doing emails. I, I, spent, I, spent, my reti- I spent like savings, retirement, to study, to be a minister, to preach, to do stuff for the Lord, gospel, be on stage, whatever it might look like, but not to be in a warehouse taping boxes. And I hated it. I hated it. I was like, God, what are you doing to me? Why would you do this to me? This isn't what you said for my life. God, I didn't give up all this money, all this time, all my efforts, all my life, so I could be in a warehouse sending books around the world, and, and, and the Lord was working on me and dealing with me, and, and I realized that there was things that God needed to get out of me that weren't out of me yet. Now, this is what the story of Jacob, which is so enlightening to me, it says, when God saw that Leah was unloved, that word unloved actually means hated. The Bible translators have toned down that word because it seemed really harsh. But you can look at the root, root word. Some verses, some versions will say hate it. Most say unloved. But when God saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Listen, you can take that down now. When you hate your process, your promise will always remain barren. When you hate your process, your promise will always remain barren. God, even though Leah was unjustifiably given to Jacob, even though he didn't deserve it, even though it wasn't promised, God still expected Jacob to love her. 
See, some of us, we go through our process and we hate it. But God has us in it for a reason. Some go through a process and we just tolerate it. We're waiting for it to be over. But God's actually expecting us to love our process. See, to only tolerate your process exposes a character flaw that you need more process. Now, what's so interesting about Leah is the first children that Jacob has with Leah, the first children were four children. And the first four children of Jacob was through Leah. And these are their names, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. What's so interesting about that is the meaning of their names. Reuben means to see, Simeon means to hear, Levi means to be at one with, and Judah means to praise. And when you learn to love your process, you start to produce offspring out of your character that will see him, hear him, be at one with him, and praise him no matter the circumstance. I realized that God had me in a warehouse packing books because there was things in my character that just weren't there yet. And so I said, okay, God, I'm gonna do what I need to do and I'm gonna be the best at packing books. I, I'm just gonna do it with excellence. People before me would pack books like up to 63 pounds, 64 or five, you know, whatever. I packed it 69.6, you know, like get it so close to 70 that it would never be. Instead of one piece of tape over that box where sometimes those boxes would break and we'd have a loss, I'd do 20 pieces of tape and tape the corners and, and make sure that it was the best. I was making sure that whatever I did with excellence, calling these pastors, putting in extra time, people would leave because they were paid to be there a certain time, but I was interning and so I just, I, I was paid hardly anything to be there 60 hours a week, and I did it with excellence. And, and people were like, wow, you did this so well. And, and, and I would put worship music on. I was in that warehouse having encounters with God, listening to the Bible, putting worship music on, learning how to praise him no matter any circumstance, learning how to see him no matter any circumstance, learning how to hear him no matter any circumstances, learning how to be at one with him no matter any circumstance. And people were like, wow, what you did, can, can I would you try to do this area in the ministry? And I'm like, sure. I still had no idea how to do it, but I was like, I'll just ask the Lord and do it the best I can with excellence. I remember um, after that 30 days of fasting and praying and not hearing one word, not even at the end, just trusting that God was doing something in me. January rolls in, the end of January, I'm, I find myself teaching at a small healing uh, healing rooms like event. I mean, we're talking like maybe 70, 80 people there. Um, the, the person who's in charge of the healing rooms had loaned, like he borrowed an auditorium, so it wasn't like there was a pastor that really was over it. It was, I had no connections there except for this healing rooms thing. And it was in Pullman, Washington. If you ever see Pullman, it's just a country farm area. And so I felt like it was in the middle of nowhere. But there is a Division One campus called Washington State University has over 30,000 students. Uh, it has uh, eight miles away as the University of Idaho has 12,000 students. Within an eight mile radius, there was 42,000 students there. And so that was like the thriving industry was the college and uh, the university. And so uh, during our break, there's nothing to do in Pullman. Uh, so when we were on a break, my friends and I said, hey, why don't we check out this like top notch school? 
So we went on campus, and as soon as we drove onto the campus, my friend, who's like super happy and joyful, and like even when that person sees like a depressed person, they always flip it. They're always like, I see the joy of the Lord on you. Like they're just, I'm like, I'm sometimes like, calm down, man. You don't have to always be this happy. Come on. But uh, so when we drive onto the campus, he's like, man, I feel a spirit of suicide on this place. And I was like, you know what? I feel this hopelessness. As soon as we got on, it was just interesting. And when he said that, I was like, okay, something's up. So, you know, we're just visitors, and the only place really you could go is like the bookstore, cafe area. So we kind of went out there. We found this uh, young man who was at, uh, outside the, the um, uh, bathroom, and he was crying. And, and so my friend went up to him, started talking to him about the Lord, and found out that there was a prominent student who had just committed suicide on the campus. Um, this campus actually had deals with a big spirit of depression. And, uh, and so he, he the, the kid, used, the, the one who committed suicide had worked, uh, he was well known, had worked as a manager in the pharmacy that was on campus, that campus had its own uh, pharmacy. So we ministered to him and then we started to leave and we thought, oh, well, maybe that's why we were there, you know? And so as we're driving away, we see this big Coliseum and I see myself point to it and I go, I wonder how much it would cost to rent that. And it so scared me because I didn't wanna do that. It doesn't even matter how much it costs to rent because I have no money. Like this is like, I was like, what, what did I, why did I even just say that? Like I don't do crusade events. I don't do, like I don't do these, you know, uh, evangelism things. I was like, God, why are you? So I was so shook. I was like, maybe God's just testing me to see if I would do something, and so I'm just gonna try to pass this test. So I looked at the calendar of the school, and the next, uh, the next calendar school year, which would have been in August, was the only day they actually had on the, on the school calendar that there was no basketball, no football event. It was just open. So I said, well, if there would be any day to do something at this place, it would be that day. But I didn't know anybody, and I didn't have any money, and I really just thought this was a test. So I make the coldest cold call you can make. I like go online, I see a number, for, I call the number, and I'm like, yeah, this is Paul from Global Awakening. I'm just uh, wanna uh, ask if this uh, uh, stadium is open and available on this day and how much it would cost, and uh, here's my number, bye. And I was like, wow, thank God I passed that test. Because <laughs> I was like, yeah, sorry God, they didn't answer, got the voicemail, <laughs> not my fault. The next day, I get a phone call back, and it's the uh, director of the stadium and his assistant director, and I'm on speakerphone, and they call me back, and they're like, hi, uh, Mr. Martini, we got your voicemail. Um, uh, uh, you know, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your organization? Are you guys a political party? What is, is there gonna be protesters? I was like, I hope not. Uh, I was like, uh, we're a Christian organization. Uh, he's like, well, what are you looking to do? And I didn't know. I didn't even, I didn't get that far. So I was like talking and I was like, well, we, 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 we felt a spirit of hopelessness. We felt a spirit of hopelessness on the campus and we just wanna bring hope to the students and we wanna bring a message of hope. And, uh, and I, I, I started to say things that I think were spirit led 
but if you would have known me saying them in the time, you'd be like, man, that sounds like you're lying, Paul. You know, because but there was there was faith there. But I was like, you know, we want to invite actors and athletes and musicians and celebrities to come and give a message of hope. And I said, and we're a Christian organization, so in the end, we're going to uh, give a, uh, the gospel message and ask for people if they want to if they want to receive Christ. I found out later this guy isn't even a Christian. And he said, wow, I like what you're doing. It's pretty amazing. I was like, well, I was just wondering if it, that date was even available. Now, I had worked for Global and would schedule their events. And oftentimes, just to get an auditorium, it's like a year to two years out. A stadium would be about two years out to book it. We're only eight months away. And uh, so I knew it was probably not gonna happen. And he goes, you know what's funny, Paul? The, the Coliseum's booked every day before that day and every day after that day, but that one night is open, just one night. I said, wow, I said, well, well, how much would it cost? Because I know that uh, stadiums, uh, if you're looking to rent a stadium for one night, it's about $150,000, depending on the stadium. Sometimes they go up to a million if they're super big. And, uh, and so I, I, I don't even have $15, so I mean, it's like, you know, it's like, so that's a mute point. But, uh, and I hear him lean back on his office chair, like those spring-loaded ones, like, er? He's like, man, I really like what you're doing. He goes, are you gonna sell tickets to this? Are you trying to make money off this? I said, no, we're not gonna be, it's for the gospel, we're not gonna sell any tickets. He goes, he said, can we sell food? I said, you can sell all the food you want. He goes, okay. He goes, I think I could do this for, give you the whole stadium, a stage for about 7,500. I almost fell out of my chair. I didn't have 7,500, but I had faith for that. But I had a problem. I didn't know any actors, celebrities, musicians. <laughs> so I, was like, I was like, can you hold it for two weeks? Because I still have to confirm who can make it, you know? He's like, yeah, we'll hold it for two weeks. And I literally didn't know any famous people. I, I was like, God, what are you doing? So, see, I knew famous Christians. Like, I knew, like, in Christendom. I knew, like, Bill Johnson, Randy Clark. I know Benny Hinn. I know Bethel Music. I know Jesus Culture. I know, like, most, I, you know, I can connect with Francis Chan. I, can, I, I know all these, like, little, you know, famous people. And, uh, but I was like, if, if we invite all these amazing Christian, famous Christians, who's going to show up? Christians. And Jesus wants the lost to show up. So I was like, okay, God, you're giving us insight here. So I just met this guy. I didn't know him, but I just met this guy who was the NBA All-Star chaplain for the NBA All-Star team the year before. And I called him up. We weren't even friends. We just met at an event, and he gave me his number. And I said, hey, man, his name's Sammy. I said, Sammy, this is what happened. Uh, and he was like, you got a stadium eight months away for 7,500? He's like, Paul, I don't know you, but that's God. I was like, okay. He's like, I was like, what do I do? He's like, As, you know, I felt like God was gonna connect me with, he's like, okay, well, he's like, let me see what I can do. A couple minutes later, he texts me back. He says, Paul, I called Sean Alexander from the Seattle Seahawks, because it's in Washington. He said, uh, he's an MVP, uh, NFL player, and he, uh, and he loves Jesus. He said, he'll do it. I said, I have no money. He says, it's for the gospel, it's a free event. He's not gonna want any money. Then he said, we also have Antoine Randall L., who's a wide receiver for Steelers, uh, Super Bowl champion, who's a Christian, loves Jesus. He said he would do the event. Then God started connecting me with uh, 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 professional volleyball player, um, uh, professional actors who've been in like Fast and Furious and who love Jesus and, and uh, the Truman Show and all this other stuff. And, and he's also a comedian. And, 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 I, and I, it was one of the loneliest times of my life. It was so hard. I said, God, I don't know any of the pastors here. See, 
the season of waiting on God the month before had built this trust in me that even though I was scared out of my mind and I didn't have any significant support, I mean, Global Awakening supported me, but most of the people were like, loved the idea, and they're like, that's amazing, that, I, I, I love what you're doing, and they wanted to celebrate, but they didn't wanna help me. They wanted to be part of the fun, but not part of the work, and so I did a lot of work, and I, was, and I felt so lonely at times, and, and it was like I had to trust that God was with me in my loneliness, in the hard work. God gave me this idea, and Global fronted the money, thank God for them, because I didn't have any at the time. I invited all the pastors in the area to a really expensive luncheon at the country club in Pullman. Now, there's one thing you know about pastors. If it's really good food and it's free and it's during the week, during the work hours, they'll come <laughs> for free food. If you wanna invite me to lunch sometime, let me know, all right? <laughs> so 30 pastors end up showing up, and I told them what God had done. And I said, we're gonna unite over what we celebrate and we're not gonna divide over what we don't. Because there were Baptists there, there were Pentecostals, there were Presbyterian, Methodist, Assemblies of God, all these different denominations. And God gave me the strategy and I said, and there's not gonna be one church name on any of the stuff. And there's not even gonna be the organization of Global Awakening on, the, on it. And actually there's not even gonna be my name on it. Nobody's gonna get glory about this except Jesus. It was amazing when it didn't become territorial how many churches came together. It was the most interdenominational event we ever, that Pullman University, Pullman, Washington had ever had. After that, there was, um, I, I said, I don't even want your money. I just want you to support it with prayer and give your blessing. You are fathers and mothers of this city. If you want this to turn around in your city, you have to say yes. I'll only do it to serve you. And so they also built their campus ministries around the discipleship part after salvation, which we'll get to later, but it was such a beautiful thing. And then I said, well, now we need money. And I'm not gonna try to get it out of the churches. We invited all the businesses in that whole area. And they all, a lot of, the, the, a lot of those businesses came, Christian and non-Christian. And I said, we have a suicide problem in this city. And we're a Christian organization, and this is the, the opportunity God's given us. And I found out that even though this, the stadium only cost 7,500, the production, the flights, the meals, all the hotel rooms will cost over $90,000. And I'm so grateful I didn't know that when I started. <laughs> and all the local businesses raised over $90,000 for this event. They didn't know me. None of the pastors knew me. I'm telling you this because Eventually, the Lord said, and, and God had brought people that worked for the president to run the event. They were public relations director for the president, had me on the phone with uh, Justin Bieber and Chance the Rapper, and I couldn't afford to bring them in, so it didn't matter, but it was like the, all these crazy opportunities. Anyway, um, the Lord said, Paul, are you the best evangelist you know? Because I was like thinking, well, at least I'll get up there and give the gospel message all these students will get saved, and then I could put in my newsletter, thousands of people got saved under Paul Martini's mission. Like, that's what I did. I, I was a minister, I was an evangelist. Like, that's what I was hoping. And then it's like, I think I was looking for someone who's willing to do something and not have to touch the glory. 
See, if I came out of ministry school and you asked me, Paul, do you wanna do an evangelism event? Do you wanna like do a crusade? Do you wanna speak? I'd be like, yep, I'm ready, give me the mic. I trained all my life for it, give it to me. Do you wanna preach on stage? I'm ready, just give it to me. That's what I went to ministry school for, I'm ready, I can do this. But I realized I wasn't ready. Up until that point, I realized that the Lord wanted to do something even greater in me and through me. And so I had someone else give the salvation altar call. Actually, I didn't even go up on the altar. I didn't go on the stage that whole night. Sean Regal, our production manager, God bless me in knowing him, he actually helped run the production of the event, our own sound person, which now we work for, with each other, which is so ironic. But this is what it looks like when we learn to wait on him and listen to the Holy Spirit. I wanted to, is it okay if I show you a two minute video? We're gonna shut this down in a second, but you wanna see a video of Hope Fest? This is the first ever event we ever did with that. So um, I want you to watch it. And there was a business person who gave us these t-shirts before you played, John, these t-shirts that said, that were like, he just came out with them. They're called E6, Ephesians 6. And they're these t-shirts that are, are gray, but when they get wet, the face of Christ appears. And so he's like, Paul, I wanna give you these T-shirts and when you baptize, because we had this idea to baptize them out on the lawn. So people came forward, they got these bracelets on when they accepted Christ. We funneled them through the tunnel and then they came out to this field. It was 10 to, 10 to midnight. We had these generators on that lit up the field and we talked about baptism. We had food there, over 500 people got saved. We had food there and, um, and um, all the campus ministries came together to find who they were supposed to disciple and uh, it was wonderful, but so you'll see some of that and some of the production of it. I had it edited, so it was a lot shorter, so. That's Pullman, Washington, very, very farm. guy's an artist for the NFL. He like paints things upside down and turns up as a believer. Sometimes we get on the path and we think that this is the path I want to do. And you surrender to God. God puts you on this different journey. Hopelessness comes when you begin to put hope in something that can't carry the weight of the thing you most hope for. God created us in his image. And 1 John 4 says that God is love.
A lot of those college students got plugged into the churches and are still there today. That last guy was an atheist that we ended up talking to before we went into the stadium. He wasn't even gonna come and he came and he got radically saved. One of those girls was the head of her fraternity, never heard about Jesus until that moment. Most college kids have no idea about, see, I grew up with the creation story. My parents, you know, a lot of people, their parents took them to church culturally, even if they didn't believe. So they knew the story of Jesus' birth. They knew the story of his death. Most Kids now have never been to church and have no idea about Jesus. They know like, oh yeah, I heard, of, like he's like a famous person like Muhammad or something, right? But they don't actually know the story of Christ. It's like, well, let me tell you about Jesus. Anyway, it's a phenomenal event. And I wanna submit to you that this, about this. You know, sometimes the process we think we're on is gonna attain to a promise that we think is like our goal. But I wanna submit to you this, that your process will create such an offspring in you that'll be greater than the promise that you thought you were going for. And remember this, the promise of all promises, Jesus Christ actually didn't come through Rachel, but he came through Leah, through Judah. Sometimes your greatest promise is gonna come through your process, but God expects you to love it. Why don't you stand?